Welcome to the Dharma Spring. Alright, we have made it to the final vow in our precept series. I vow not to disparage awakening the way or my companions. So in a way, this returns us to the beginning. <coughs> links, links and loops back around to where we started with the three refuge vows. Taking refuge in awakening the way in my companions. From there, all the territory that unfolded with the three root vows and all the precepts are ways of working with having taken refuge. And you could also say that's how we endeavor not to disparage awakening <clears throat> the way or our companions is by engaging in the work we've been engaging in, looking at the precepts, holding them up to our lives, endeavoring to do better for others and for ourselves. So I think that's very much alive here in this final vow is it's like, okay, take refuge, study the precepts, take these vows, look into them deeply, repeat over and over. Um, the work goes on endlessly. And it's kind of the launching out point also, you know, the final vow, having done the work of study and introspection and discussing together, looking at all of this, now we, instead of taking the study up formally, we now take it out into the world and endlessly studying in many ways as the vows arise in their own way, in their own order. The work goes on. This work of taking refuge and living the vows, living the precepts. But it's not just that. That's one aspect of it. I think honoring what has already happened um, is, is part of what this vow is, you know, encapsulating, summarizing. And I think it also opens up into another territory and, or has a territory of its own that, well, it's both a territory of its own, something that can stand and be worthwhile just as it is, but also something that's another summary or connected to the overall workings of the vows and the precepts. And it, I see it as advice, as it typically is with Bodhidharma and Dogen, but ways of not only working with ourselves in our own practices and lives, but also ways of working the precepts into our lives. Or... Um, working the precepts as they are already in our lives. A way of nourishing and supporting them. And I see two distinct advices, if you will, offered through these ancestors. So to start with Bodhidharma, the way things are is mysterious and hard to see. In a world where the Dharma is one, not holding dualistic concepts about ordinary beings and awakened beings is called the vow of not disparaging these three treasures. So, 
Awakening the Way, My Companions, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, The Three Treasures, The Three Jewels. Um, just to provide that when you encounter it, sometimes that's a phrase you'll find, is just The Three Treasures, The Three Jewels, it's pointing to these. So, an aside there. But, at the heart of what Bodhidharma is saying, to me is to not live in separation, to not to not divide things, to, to realize our connect, our connectedness, something fundamental to Zen and Buddhism. N nothing that's new to us, I don't believe, but it's really um, taking on a new form here. You could see it is as having gone through this process, and maybe this speaks later to when we have the ceremony and you have your Rakazu and a Dharma name and you've gone through this, that doesn't make you anything different. It doesn't make you someone new. It's not a magical transformation that marks you as something, again, more than what you are. It's not a magical formula that makes you a bodhisattva. Really, the reason we do the ceremony, in general, we humans, when we mark things with ceremonies, it's not creating something as much as it is honoring something that already is, a commitment to being, in this case, a commitment to living, a commitment to looking at life. And so, maybe part of this is like, if you think you have gone through this process and having taken refuge and uh, done this work, now you have something unique and special to offer, more so than you did before or more so than others who haven't done such work. Don't do that. Don't set up that dualistic concept of specialness or um, uniqueness. I would think, well, I guess in my experience, it's, it's more humbling to have done this work and to... It brings me back down to the ground more so than gives me anything special. And I think you might have that experience going through the precepts, how they kept pulling us into our lives, into the, the gray areas, into the muck and the mud and the, the difficult areas. So this isn't about coming out shiny and bright and um, elevating off the ground. It's more of getting more deeply into the muck and the mire and the beautiful thick of it all. So, that could be one one aspect of that, not setting up the dualistic concept, is don't think that something special has happened here. <clears throat> Whatever has happened, the, the specialness of it isn't because of the ceremony, isn't because of having done the precepts. It's what perhaps sparked your initial wanting to take things up in this way and look at them. Your turning towards life and towards the world toward yourself in such a way. That's what's being honored here. So again, something that's already happened is being honored. I also think of how some... I've had encounters with people who have had the thought of, well, if I take these vows, and if I take refuge, that will imbue me with some kind of energy and it'll make something happen so I can live my life better. 
And I recently had somebody who, who came and had been reading and studying and well, wants to be a Buddhist and read that in order to be a Buddhist you have to take up the precepts or you have to take refuge. Uh, I don't know if there was necessarily a full study of the precepts like we do, but I know some traditions will just do a, a refuge ceremony that's only taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And then after that you can call yourself a Buddhist. And so this person came here, came to me talking about that and kind of wanted to do that so that maybe he could begin living his life better, having gone through that uh, as an idea that he had, that he had to go through that in order to then begin the practice, then begin to live in such a way. And I said, no, that's not necess- that's not how we do it in our tradition. Just engage in the practice and you never have to take refuge or you can take it right away if that seems right or you can do it multiple times, you know, whatever is right. But it's really important rather than to <clears throat> engage in the practice after having done something because you think that having done something is going to make it easier or do something magical or whatever you might think. It's like just engage in the practice and then notice what wants to happen. If refuge wants to come about, great, let's do it. But just uh, one of those examples of how someone can approach the practice in such a way. But another, you know, outside of, beyond the realm of just having taken refuge, um, you could expand this to just the fact that we practice this practice doesn't make us better than other human beings who are practicing other practices, other traditions, or not. Um, that could be another dualistic concept to to be aware of, if that's alive for you. Or it might really more be alive for others. Um, maybe you've had this encounter sometimes where people who hear that you practice a form of Buddhism because they have a romanticized notion of what Buddhism is, that way we do here in the West a lot, then they think, oh, you're a Buddhist. You know, the voice changes like that, oh. And that's interesting that there's a view of, oh, Buddhists aren't, they're, they're different. They're, you know, and that, that's a nice thing to know. It's nice, maybe out of actual encounters with people, they get this impression of, oh, Buddhists live differently. They do something that's impressive or whatever it might be. But it could just be based off of, again, a romanticized notion and stories that they hear. So, if I think that by practicing this way, I'm practicing a better way than others, and um, have privileged ways of dealing with life that others don't have access to, well, I need to cut that out. This way is just a way of dealing with my humanity and dealing with life and working with it. And it's a way that speaks a language that reaches into me and, and I can understand and it's helpful for me, but it doesn't make it something that everybody needs to do. It just makes it a way for me to engage in the world. And in doing so, I can notice how others from other traditions or non-traditions are also able to engage in the very same world in their own way. Therefore, 
there's that evenness and that non-separation of the paths, trying to figure out which is the right one. It's more of what, which one for me, which is this one, helps connect with my humanity, helps me face my life, helps me face the world. And when I do that, I can notice which paths do the exact same thing for other people. And what I enjoy there is we share in connecting to our humanity, despite the traditions we're following. <clears throat> despite how much we value and treasure maybe our own tradition, beneath it there is just our shared humanity and ways of engaging. And that's really what this is about to me. The practice overall isn't about being a Buddhist or practicing Zen. It's about being more fully human, owning it, um, honoring it, embracing it, and working with it in, in the longer, larger endeavor of being of benefit to this world and to other beings, um, to life. I'm reminded of a meme from a few years ago that came across Facebook. Um, and this is a case of being on the receiving end of somebody's perceived separation, uh, disconnection, uh, I suppose. It was just a little meme that listed Christian values. And the I just remember the title was quite aggressive. It's like what we as Christians value. And like Christians was either in all caps and highlight, you know, it was stood out as if this is what we value over the rest of you. This is what, what makes us unique and special. That was the, the flavor of it. And again, presented in kind of an aggressive way. Which was a little off-putting, but I still read it. I wanted to... It wasn't that off-putting. Sometimes I just swipe right by those, but or scroll scroll on by. But I went ahead and read it, and in every single one I recognized this is also a value for me. I uphold the same, and it's important to me, everything that that person listed as Christian values. And it wasn't a situation where I felt I could speak that. You know, the person kind of presented this aggressively, so I don't think they were, they were in a place necessarily of wanting to hear, this isn't unique. This is our shared, these are human values. They don't belong to you, they belong to all of us. Um, so I don't, I didn't say anything, didn't seem the time to mention that. So I lament that there was this divide created by that perception that these were uniquely theirs and that I didn't feel I could and didn't take the opportunity to say, you know, these are shared values. But I also appreciated the fact that I could experience that, that I noticed, well, there's nothing unique here. Maybe there's a, again, like I've been saying, a different approach to living out these values, but the fact that they are there for all of us, for, you know, for both of us in this situation, but perhaps for all of us as humans, that's what I walked away with is we're all kind of looking at the same thing, struggling with the same things, working in the same world with the same life and trying to figure out how we can do our best in it in our own ways. 
So again, that's that's where I left. That's what sticks with me most is the connection I felt, despite the presentation of of the list. All right. So, as a companion to Bodhidharma's, um, the Dharma being one, or we and others and our approaches to life are not two. Again, they're unique and um, have their own ways of engaging and working with things and viewing things. But in that uniqueness, there's still a not-to-ness, because we're all involved in the same endeavor. So to accompany that connection and that non-separation, we have Dogen saying, Your expression of the actual body is the harbor and the weir. This is the most important thing in the world. Its power comes from the ocean of essential nature. It is beyond explanation. We just accept it with respect and gratitude. An older version of this said, Your Tesho of the actual body is the harbor and the weir. Um, Tesho is the Japanese word for a Dharma talk, which means uh, literally presentation of the shout. So that got translated into your expression, which to me is about your being and your doing, all that you are and all that you do, your presence in the world, is the expression of the actual body of the teachings. That's what actual body means for me at this time. Your expression, your life, is the way the practice is lived out. Each of us, yeah. So the harbor and the weir, it, it encapsulates being and doing, as I see it. So the harbor, if I'm a ship, the harbor is that calmer land, the open space where I can come and just dock and rest and be. And that's maybe my meditation or just my daily practices of being in the world, um, working with myself, taking time to, you know, take care of this smaller territory of me. So that's being in the harbor. And the weir is the, the small channel that leads from the harbor out into the greater ocean, out to the sea, to the ocean. And so that's the other side of it. And it's connected. In addition to this work upon myself and taking care of myself and practicing with, again, my limited territory. There's also that channel where I take whatever has been happening in the harbor and I go out into the world with it and I journey on those waters, which can be calm and rough and, you know, all sorts of different happenings there. So I don't just sit in the harbor and block that channel off. I keep the channel open so I can take whatever's happening within the harbor and share it and put it out into the world. And naturally, because of that channel being open, what's flowing out in the world is going to flow in through the weir into the area of the harbor and also be working on me as I'm in that place of rest and uh, respite, docking. So that's my being. 
the places of taking care of me, but also acting in the world and doing things. So my being and my doing, my, my full, the full, <laughs> the full catastrophe of me. Um, that's the expression of the actual body, my life, my living. So that's a short, short version of this phrase. My life and my living, how I engage in the world, how I work with myself, is the most important thing in the world, according to the next line. So in contrast to the previous one with Bodhidharma of this non-separation and not setting myself out individually, I should also honor the fact that individually, by myself, I have a great responsibility and a true standing in the world, and it's the most important thing in the world that I do something with this life of mine. Meaningful, helpful, beneficial. And that's really the, the thing that is driven home here for me, is like, this life that I have, this practice of mine, the actual body of the practice in me, is important, the most important thing in the world, so don't take it lightly. Um, think of our dedication, that part where it says, you are needed, and what you do matters. It's kind of driving home this point. I have a place in the world, and how I am in the world, and what I do in the world, matters because it affects the world. And its power comes from the ocean of essential nature. Uh, that's a you know wonderful phrase, this ocean of essential nature which we are all soaking in, all things, all beings, all existence is soaking in it. So the power of my living, the power of my ability to engage and do something with the world comes from the ocean of essential nature that is the world itself, within me, beyond me, around me, throughout me. And it is beyond explanation. We just accept it with respect and gratitude. It's kind of a... I think that's an invitation not to spend too much time thinking about that and celebrating it and uh, writing poem. You know, the ancients who would write a poem, a poem in praise of... Maybe not just the ancients, anybody but a poem in praise of my being connected to the ocean of essential nature. It's like, don't worry about trying to explain it and celebrate it. Just understand it. Stand here where you are, fully in your life. Raise your eyes to the horizon and ground yourself in being. This is just what's coming to me now. <sighs> Take a breath. Respect that I have such an opportunity that I have this life and I'm in this world respect that gratitude arising because of that and the fact that I can do something that I do have agency that I do affect the world around me that I am in a position to do so respect and gratitude for that so let me do something with it. More so than just tend to myself, which is important to work on that inner territory, but 
not just limited to that. Let me do something more with my life than just take care of my life. Look out into this life, in this world that is my life, my world, shared with so many others, and engage in it in the way that I can to be helpful. Again, helpful, beneficial, doing things that matter and make a difference. Maybe they not in the maybe I won't see the results of what I do ever. But I know the work that I do now ripples out and has effects and makes a difference somewhere. It may come to fruition well after I'm gone, but it still matters that I do it and that I that I engage in it. So that could be also how it's a, a summary of the work of the precepts, which is about not turning away from this world. Not turning away from what I find within or without, but being able to abide with it, connect with it, and engage with it in all these various ways we've been exploring. So that I can offer myself to it and do something to better it, benefit it. So, here, at the end of things, with this final precept, it's good to have that reminder, lest we should have forgotten that, you know, what we're up to here in the study of precepts and taking refuge and working with the vows is the work of the Bodhisattva way, of practicing for the benefit of others practicing with ourselves so that we may better be of service to the world and to life around us and to those with whom we share our world. Which has a, like I said earlier, kind of a dual dual flavor. One is kind of a putting a, a bow on it, putting a stamp on it, saying this is what it is, this is the completion of the path, remembering that we're doing this for the benefit of all. And it also, I think, harkens back to perhaps the spirit where we began with taking refuge in the Bodhisattva way, going back to the beginning of taking refuge, but reconnecting with the reason that we engage in this study is because we already feel called to do something with our lives, and we've maybe already noticed it happening. And taking up the vows and studying the precepts is a way of tapping into that, exploring it further, bringing it forth more concretely, more directly. So that dual flavor of completion and beginning again. Go back to the beginning, cycle through over and over and over. And fortunately, we are here to do it for the benefit of and through the support and power of awakening the way and our companions. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook Instagram, and Twitter.